Good evening and Merry Christmas to you all. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to worship together tonight. Before we do, say hi to someone around you. Greet them with a Merry Christmas here. Just 
Welcome to Impact tonight. Yeah, go ahead and give it up for that. Isn't that awesome? For those of you who don't know, that is our care point halfway across the world in Eswatini. Those kids are supported throughout the year by our church direct connection at that care point. Uh, they get one meal a day at least if they can make it to the care point. Uh, they get education. They get um, some care and some, some contact with some adults that love Jesus in that area. I wanted to just let you know uh, that we are continuing through the rest of the month of December to give. This is a year-end giving opportunity for us as a church. And the reason that we do that in December is because as we celebrate Christmas, we are celebra celebrating the most extraordinary gift that has ever, ever been given to humanity. And that is that God would give the ultimate gift of his son for us. What generosity, what mind-blowing, unfathomable, powerful gift that is for us, that Jesus would come and wrap himself in flesh to dwell among us so that we could be saved. That's awesome, and that kind of generosity, we believe as a church, demands a response from us. It demands that we would be generous in reflecting the kindness of God to us. And for those of you who are new and you're visiting, you, know, you do not have to participate in this at all, but I want those of us that are regularly a part of our church to contemplate what it is to be that reflection of Jesus, to be that giving, to be that kind, to be everywhere we go in the fullness of our strength, giving and caring. These kids are an amazing opportunity and way that we do that. And then I just want you to know as you come into this season, if you've been blessed, if you're wondering about ways to give, there are lots of uh, ways that our church is able to bless our community and give. And that kind of generosity begets more generosity. I cannot, the stories of God's goodness to us and to his people that come out of our response to his call to be generous and to sacrifice are just extraordinary. They're all around in so many ways. So I encourage you to think of impact as we come into this next week before the end of the year. Let's go ahead and stand and we're gonna pray together as we go back into our Christmas Eve celebration and our time of worship. God, thank you for this gift that truly, truly keeps on giving. It's remarkable to me to look in the rearview mirror and to see the ways that when we respond with our whole life, our whole strength, that we would love you, Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our substance, with all the essence of who we are, God, you take that and you shine that into the world just like you gave us, that you acted first when you gave your son, Jesus, for his birthday, his celebration tonight that we get to participate in. Because of him, you were able to 
to have the angels just sing peace on earth and good will towards men in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our darkness. And so God, we want to be that reflection. We want to be that light. We come here tonight to worship you, to celebrate you, to, to, to do happy birthday choruses for Jesus because of how unimaginably blessed we are that you would give your son. So now, God, as we go back into worship, I just ask for your presence to touch every single heart here. That we would be made new, righteous, and whole as we cry out to you tonight. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
Merry Christmas, Impact Church. It is so good to be with you this evening. Uh, my name is Shay, and if you can't tell by the way I'm dressed, I am the youth pastor here at the church. Uh, when I got asked to preach for Christmas Eve, I said, I have the perfect pants, but I need a red sweater. And uh, my boy Mason hooked me up with this one. So uh, anyways, <clears throat> but uh, tonight we are exploring a question and the power of a good question cannot be underestimated. I truly believe the power of a good question cannot be underestimated. If you think about questions that you ask as a kid, so kids in the room, maybe you, you'll resonate with some of these questions, uh, like, are we there yet? Or like, this is a good question, because you need to know how much longer do I have to endure my siblings before I'm freed of this cage, right? You need to know the answer to that. Uh, another one that I asked all the time was, what's for dinner? And mom was like, it's 11 o'clock, stop bothering me, right? Like, but you need to know because the answer to the question what's for dinner changes the snack game in the afternoon, right? Like if mom's pulling out leftover spaghetti, it's like I'm going to need some extra snacks this afternoon. But if it's Taco Tuesday, no snacks. I can pound some tacos, right? Like there's power in a good question. But then as you get older, they become a little more nuanced of what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what are you passionate about? What do you love giving your time to? As we try to help uh, kids or students try to discover who it is God's made them to be and, and calling them to do with their lives. And then you start wrestling through maybe with some more difficult ones of, of how do you handle hardship in your life? Or, or how do you process loss and grief? How do you manage tension between two extremes? And then there's the life-altering questions kind of in the moment, right? Do you, you going to choose college, workforce, military? Which is it going to be? Or, or how about this one? Will you accept this job? Or will you marry me? There's power and questions. If you look at the life of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is four different perspectives of one life, of Jesus' time in ministry, mostly. And if you add them all up, which there, there's, some, uh, there's some repetition because it's, it's the same stories, um, but if you add them all up, Jesus asks 307 questions, but he only answers three. There is power in good questions. I believe good questions actually can propel us and drive us forward. And to be clear, what I mean by forward is not the American version of progression. I don't mean forward into more stuff or more money or more accolades or more fame or more whatever. Well, I'm talking about good questions can drive us forward into healthier relationships with our family and friends and our community and our work. It, they can drive us forward into a better relationship with our Heavenly Father in, in, in a way that we can respond to the love that he's poured out on us, even in, in a warped and crooked generation, as we read in Philippians. Questions can drive us forward into a better understanding of ourselves, of, of how God's created and designed us so that, that we can live out the way that, that God has called and asked us to live. You see, the power of a question cannot be underestimated. And tonight we're exploring what do I make of Christmas? This is the question you and I have to wrestle with during the season. This is the question that, that we personally have to answer. And it's not 
what do I think about Christmas? No, 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 make. It's what do you do with the information? What do I make of Christmas? So we're in the Christmas story. Obviously, it's Christmas Eve. And, and even if you don't go to church, maybe you're, you, you don't normally attend church or you're not a believer, um, but you probably have an idea of what the Christmas story is, right? Like you understand that it's about this, this person named Jesus who was born a long time ago and there was some straw and animals, right? Like you see the billboards that Jesus is the reason for the season or the nativity season. Like you have a basic understanding. And so we are diving into a small portion of the Christmas story this evening. And it's technically actually just after the Christmas story, but it gets tied to it a lot because it is response to Jesus' birth. And that is the wise men coming to visit Jesus, And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, and we're just going to jump in. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? You see, the Magi are asking their own question. Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? The Magi or wise men were not Israelite people. They were not Jewish. And the Israelite people, if you don't know the story, the Israelite people were a group of people that God set apart. Uh, We find out in the Old Testament, he set them apart to eventually bring about the birth of Jesus. And so these guys were not Israelites. They were not Jewish. They were from the east, a different land, a different region. But they had wisdom to know something is happening Something is going on in this land, and we want to go find out. We want to go inquire about it. We want to go ask questions. We want to go figure out and find, who is this that's been born king of your people? Because there's something different happening. But have you ever known somebody who's incredibly book smart, but not very street smart? Anybody know this person? If, you're, if it's your spouse, just nudge them. It's okay. This is a safe place, Okay. Incredibly book smart, but not very street smart. This feels like the wise men. And well, here's what I mean by that is that they're, they're so wise, they're not even from this region. They've probably never even heard the stories of the Old Testament, right? That, but they know something's happening. They're wise enough to know something's happening, and they come searching for it. And they come, they come searching, and they come looking. But here, here's why it's not very smart, because they, they roll up into Jerusalem, which is essentially the capital city of Israel, right? They're, they come to this new place, they're outsiders, and they start poking around. Hey, where's this baby who's been born who's supposed to be your king? What, where are they at? Can, can you show us, can you point us the direction to the, the, the actual king? I don't know if you know this, that's not going to go over well for the current guy who's ruling, right? Like he's going to have some problems with this. Like, wise men say what? Who, who was born? No, nah, uh-uh, I don't like that at all. What are you talking? No, that, if anybody's going to be born king, it's going to be in this household. It's going to be my bloodline. It's going to be my son, right? Like I take offense to this, right? And we keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. You think? And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now we find Herod asking his own question. Where's he at? Where, where is he? 
uh, tell me where he is. Somebody, somebody's on to something, and I want to know the information. But how many of you know that sometimes the motive behind the question is just as, if not more important, than the answer to the question itself? Right, like We know this. We've experienced it when somebody asks us a question in sarcasm or an emotional manipulation where it's like, you don't even care about the answer. It's all about the way that you're asking the question is the most important part in your mind. And we find Herod asking this question, where's he at? I want to know. But he's asking from a place of fear and control. He's asking from this place of fear of control because he's like, I, I don't like what you're talking about. I don't like this situation. We find out later he literally tries to cut it off from happening. He tries to stop the train from going down the tracks. He's like, I don't like this because this, if that's true, that's going to disrupt what I have going on. And I like what I got going on. I like being king. I like being in charge. I like my palace. I like my servants. I like telling people what to do. I like my authority, right? Like, I like what's happening. And if this is true, that's going to disrupt my way of life. Church, church, if Jesus has not disrupted your way of life, then you have yet to allow him to save you from yourself. Jesus came to disrupt. And so if he has not disrupted your way of thinking, if he has not disrupted the way you view people, if he has not disrupted the way that you love one another, if he has not disrupted the way that you view time and you desire to serve people and put other people first, if he has not disrupted your finances and the way that you spend money, the way that you save money, the way that you give money away and are generous, if he has not disrupted your life, then you have yet to allow him to save you from yourself because he won't force himself upon you. He just offers himself to you. And Jesus came to disrupt. If you look at the Gospels, there's a kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about in all of the Gospels. And it's affectionately talked about as the upside down kingdom. That, that the kingdom Jesus is about, the kingdom Jesus talks about, is he came to flip our understanding on its head. To show us a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of acting. He came to disrupt our way of life. And we find Herod in this space. He's like, I want to keep you at arm's length. I like what I have going on. I like my way of life. I like what's happening. But too often in the church, we do this. But it looks like this. Okay, Jesus, I'll just add you to my life. I'll, I'll just add you to what I'm already doing, right? Like things are pretty good, but I'll just add you. Listen up. Jesus is not something to add to your life. He is someone to surrender your life to. Okay, he doesn't just get added to everything else going on. He came to disrupt. He came to flip things on its head. He came and it is our turn to surrender. And so we see this, this question, or I'm sorry, the motive behind the question from Herod really being a negative place but here's the deal when, when the son of god jesus is the son of god if you've never heard this there's one god three persons father son holy spirit when jesus the son of god the third person of the trinity chooses to give up his heavenly throne put on flesh and come down to earth and to dwell among us his coming demands a response from you and me the gospel demands a response 
And scripture already tells us that that's gonna happen, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we already know that it's gonna happen. It de- he demands a response from humanity. I'm just telling you, I'm responding now. I'm responding to his, to his kingship now. I'm responding to his coming now. Because the gospel, the good news, the savior of the world demands a response from us. But I wanna look at the motive behind the wise men's question. If we look back at verse two, after their question, there's another statement. They say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? But then they followed up and say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They didn't come to stop what was happening. They came because they recognized something bigger is happening. And I'm gonna give myself over to it. I come to worship. I come to bow. I come to give honor. I come to glorify. They came to worship. And so churches, you and I have to wrestle with this question, what do I make of Christmas? Some of you, in the, I, I just know a room this size, some of you are in a place where you're like, it is just a consumeristic holiday to help retail shops go from the red to the black. That's all it is anymore. Then there's others of you who are like, well, I, I get that it's, it's a holiday, it's like a religious thing that people who go to church or believe in it, like they participate in that. I just like participating because I love the way it makes me feel or I love the gifts, I love the season, I love the family time, whatever it is. But that's, that's really their thing. And then there's others in the room that are like, man, it's the story of, of Jesus being born. It's the story of when Jesus came. But as Christ followers, really, we know that that's only half of the answer. Because the question is, what do I make of Christmas? What, what do I do with the story? Something has, something has to be done. A response has to be made. So what do I do with the story? What do I make of Christmas? And so as we look past just the story, it can't stay a story of long ago that we just shared for generations and generations that's been passed on. And so we share the story of this baby being born and we read Luke 2 because that's what we've always done. But we have to come to a place to say, what, what do I make of Christmas? It is not only the celebration of, of the birth of Jesus, but it is a reminder to worship the one who has come to save me. It is just another opportunity to worship my Savior. You see, this this moment, this moment in history when Jesus is born, it it is the turning point in all humanity. Because for thousands of years, we uh, we see people try to do it by themselves on their own and figure things out. For thousands of years, and they can't do it. And God says, hold up, I've had a plan, I have a plan, I'll do all the work. I'll take care of it. Don't, don't even try. You're going to mess it up. That's okay. I'll do it. And so, so he said, I- I'm going to send. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send him to do the very thing that, that you can't do yourself. You can't save yourself, church. You can't work hard enough. You can't run fast enough. You're not that good enough. So he said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll come, and he put on flesh, and he said, I, I, will, I will save you. And he does this because he loves you. 
Scripture says, for he first loved us. And then we read in John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he said his one and only son, Jesus, to be born. But remember, that demands a response. So the rest of the verse says that whoever believes in him, how are you going to respond? Do you respond with belief? Or you can't sidestep this one. There's no like, well, I don't necessarily believe, but I don't not like Jesus. Like, he's cool. No, no, no. Either you believe or you don't. To abdicate is to choose the opposition. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but experience eternal life, everlasting life. So Jesus came for eternal lives, but I love John 10, 10 because Jesus also says that I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. And like I said earlier, I'm not, I'm not talking about the fullness of stuff, status. And I'm talking about the fullness of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. The fullness of the hope of eternity. The fullness of the joy that is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the fullness of life that you and I get to live in and you and I get to experience. And, and so church, really as we gather this, this weekend, this holiday season, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, whatever it is, as you gather, and a lot of people do food. I, I love good food, I love food. Don't let it just be about the food, but let it be a feast in order to worship the one who has blessed you and offered you and, and walked alongside you in every situation. And when you get together and you share gifts and presents, and if, you do, if you're sinful and you do that tonight, you can pray for forgiveness. But for those of us Christians who do it tomorrow on Christmas, when you do that, don't let it just be about the stuff. Don't let it just be about the gifts, but let the gifts remind you of the gift in order to worship him and in thankfulness go, God, I, I can't do this by myself. It is only because of you. It is only because of who you are and because you love me and the way that you came for me on my behalf to do what I could not do. And, and when you get together with your family, man, I love family time and family's biblical. But when you get together with your family, don't let it just be about the family. Let it be an opportunity to lead your family to a place of worship for all that he's done and for who he is. Because church, he loves you. He came because he loves you. He came because there was no other way. And he came as a baby in a stable. And when the son of God puts on flesh, it demands a response. So what do I make of Christmas? It's just another opportunity to worship my savior, my Messiah. Frankly, as a church, we should be celebrating Christmas and Easter every day of our lives. But this is just a set aside focal point where we get a look to this specific day, to the, the coming of Jesus, to our Savior being born. We get to celebrate this moment, but it is an opportunity to worship the one who saves. And so we're going to do that. We're going to respond in a time of worship. We still got a few more songs we want to sing together. But, but church, I just ask as we sing that you would think about these words. Don't just sing O Holy Night and Silent Night because you know the words. Don't just sing it because it's rote. Don't just sing it because it's tradition. But think about the implications, the holy night, which means set apart, the set apart night. There was no other night like this night. Everything changed when Jesus came. 
And so we want to worship together. So as we worship and you got your candles and during this first song, people are going to come around. We're going to light our candles during the first song so we can have the traditional silent night candlelight. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but do it in a, in a state of worship. Let us come to our Savior to worship him for who he is. Let's, let's sing together. Taught us to love one another. 
So church, as we go this evening, may we truly go in the, in the light and the saving grace of our Savior. May we go with hearts and demeanors of worship. Merry Christmas, church. You're dismissed.